Welcome to Pretty Hard, the podcast. This is all about discussing what we feel when we think about our relationship to beauty, how it's changed over time, what we've been and are currently influenced by, what we're trying to change, and of course, how hard it is to run and consume a beauty brand in today's digital age. A podcast by Fluff, a beauty brand that believes it's okay to feel more with makeup so long as you don't feel less without it. It's a series of honest conversations, thoughts and feelings with myself, Erica Gerrards, and head of brand, Ellen Jenkinson. In season four, we're discussing beauty under the lens of changing roles, identity and responsibility. We're talking significant life events or milestones that shape our personal understanding. We look at career, relationships, parenthood and the space between travel and finding a home. Ultimately, the tension between our responsibility to the people in our lives and ourselves. We hope you enjoy these conversations. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded and where we live and run our brand. We extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, past and present, and today, as we share our own stories, we pay homage to the tradition of storytelling cultivated by the world's oldest living culture. In this episode, we are reconnecting with Erin Deering. It's been almost a year since we first spoke to Erin on our podcast, in which we summarized her relationship to beauty as an obsessive mentality. So we were super keen to check in and see where she was at and how she felt about herself, given so much has happened in the last 12 months since we spoke. Erin has undergone two operations, one to remove a melanoma from her face, and the second was to remove her breast implants. And we really wanted to understand how she feels post both operations, how it has changed her feelings around herself and what she's been through, as well as talking about, I guess, how she has fitted all of this in alongside her role as a mother of four, a wife, and in a real peak of her business, but also the start of her journey as an author and also as a fashion designer. Erin, hi. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. You know, it's been almost a year since we spoke. Oh, wow. It was December last year. Okay. Yeah, right. Was it? Time. That's crazy. (laughs) That is so bad. I was wearing a leather skirt, which is weird in December. I love that you remember that. I do remember that. I I remember as well. I remember because I was kind of like uncomfortable (laughs) sitting down. I was like, why did I wear a pencil leather skirt to a podcast to sit? Anyway. Yeah. Incredible. It's funny because we spoke about or we summarized our conversation with you as like a an obsessive mentality yeah. of your relationship to beauty. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I want to know like a yeah. year on, mm. where are you at? Are you still there? Has it changed? How would you describe it's it? It's changed a lot, actually. It's definitely, and, and I knew it would, you know, I think it's, a, it's an evolving process. I had the blessing and I would say it's a blessing of, of having a melanoma cut out of my face July this year. So up until then, because I got married in June, so it kind of got more obsessive, I would say, for the first half <laughs> of this year. It was just, you know, like treatments and this and the body and the, and the thing. And it was just like really obsessive, which it didn't feel that obsessive because it felt kind of normal. But it was very focused on beauty because you're leading up to this big day. And then two weeks before my wedding or two and a half weeks before my wedding, I found out I had a melanoma in the middle of my face that had to be cut out. Mm. Fortunately, happened after the wedding and that just flipped everything on its head in terms of beauty for me and was the exact perfect, that's why I call it a blessing because it was just the perfect, like I needed it after, you know, especially after the wedding and just after being that way about beauty. It's like, you know, you, you're always doing things to like make your skin better and look 
younger and like more snatched and like your body and you're there. And then you have something like that happen where it's completely out of your control and you just don't even think about it. You just mm. like have a total, I've had, just had a total break from even thinking about my skin like that for so long. And now that I've had that break, it's been so nice that I'm protective of it, you know, mm. in a way. So it's been, that's been a pretty big yeah, for that. Can you describe for people, sorry, just yes. like when you say you had a melanoma cut yes. out, not in too graphic detail, no, but like... <laughs> what, what that was, what that meant for you, yes. what that looked like. Yeah. So I had a really, to, to go back, I had a pigment spot on my cheek that I'd had for a couple of years and I just thought it was pigment from having babies and we'd try to laser it off when I'd go and get treatments and it would get darker, but not come off. Didn't think it was alarming at all. And then a few weeks before the wedding, I was getting one of my treatments and the derma clinician just said to me, have you had that looked at? And I said, no. She's like, I think you should have that looked at pretty quickly. Just go and do that. And so I went to the dermatologist two days later and she took a, did a biopsy on it and just said, don't worry, we'll be fine. We'll call you in a couple of weeks with pathology results. And then the next morning was calling me and I was like, oh God, that's, it's bad. And it wasn't that bad. It was a very, very early caught melanoma, but it still required surgery. I had my face, you know, my cheek cut open from just under my eye straight down to my jaw. So I had a scar. I still have a scar. I had a huge, big, gruesome scar from for like on half of my face, which was the most confronting thing I've ever had happen to me. And I... I had a real little meltdown for about 10 minutes. You know, up until that, I was all like, cool, like had it cut out. I was like, it's great. I'm very, you know, nonchalant with those things. And then when I remember when the surgeon took the bandage off four days after I had the surgery and it was this, it was so, I mean, gruesome was the word. It was disgusting. It was this big raised, I was all bruised all down my face. Every, my whole face was puffy. He, you know, he took it off and he's like, oh, it looks great. Cause it was, he was a plastic surgeon, did an incredible job. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm waiting for him to put another bandage on. And he's like, so we leave it open. We leave it bare. And I'm like, you leave it, you leave it bare. Like, it's disgusting. Like it was just so disgusting. I mean, I thought it was. And and I said, I was acted all cool in front of him. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. No worries. Yeah. And he puts betadine on it. So it's all yellow. <laughs> just disgusting. And I walked out of there and got into my, I've never felt and I'm a very vulnerable person and I like to be, but I've never felt more vulnerable. I just felt in that moment like everything was going to be just up in, you know, I was like, I've got a book coming out, you know, like I have to put that on pause. Like I can't face the world. I have to like pull back on all my, everything on social media. And I was just thinking, because no one will want to see me like this. Like everyone, I said to my husband, like a him, I said, no one will like me if I don't look pretty if I don't try and look pretty. And that's so silly because I know that's not true, but I clearly thought it was in that moment of being faced with that. It was pretty full on. And then I obviously had a choice to make between embracing it or hiding away with it. And I was like, well, it's going to be a long time of me hiding because <laughs> it's going to take months to heal. So I just went, went with it and just decided to really own it. Mm. You yeah. owned it so <laughs> hard and like amazingly. I was just like, this is incredible yeah and I I mean because yeah it was on your face it's not something you can hide right no and no. I'm curious how what have you sort of taken from that like a lesson is like weird or how do you kind of like reason with it but yes yeah it's like how could you not learn something from putting yourself oh, out there no it's funny because the melanoma side of it's one side and, you know, I'm an ambassador for a business or a charity called Skin Check Champions and that's great and getting your skin checked and early prevention and 
uh, early detection and that's a part of it that's definitely there but I think for me what's even greater is the way that it has given me this newfound acceptance of myself Mm. and the way it challenged every ideal of beauty and the way I thought the world not saw me but needed to see me was the biggest lesson and the thing that I'm the most grateful to have learned. Like, of course, I'm I'm glad I got cut out to save my life, but the way I viewed myself and the way I thought the world needed to view me completely changed as a result of this. Mm. And I just, you know, I'm still obviously aesthetically driven, you know, I still want to look nice, but the pressure has gone, you know, completely with it. It's like I'm still doing these things to look nice, but there's no weight attached to that anymore because there's an acceptance of myself that just has happened through that because I didn't wear makeup and I didn't think about, you know, wearing makeup and I didn't think about getting injectables. I didn't think about getting laser. I didn't think about even, you know, my surgeon said don't put anything on it at all. Like you don't even need to put on creams or do treatments. Just let it heal. And so that gave me so much freedom. So people would message me that have had scars and say, what did you put on it? What did you do? What treatments? What lasers? And I'm like, I've done nothing Mm. because that's what my mind and my heart needed, Mm. a total break from everything. That's why I think it's such a blessing because it was Mm. just utter free. I had so much freedom in my day (laughs) and And I'm not thinking like that. And a little bit of appreciation for how your own skin and body can heal itself. And I think – for me, you sort of can zoom out and be like, wow, we've really been sold a lot of products mm-hmm. to treat what our skin sort of can do on its own. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And just, you know, it's just been so nice to, I think, you know, because I went so hard on the injectables as we spoke about last last podcast, last episode, and I've had such a break from that that my face looks like mine again mm. and I didn't. Like I don't know if that would have happened if this hadn't happened. And so coming from that base now of going, hmm. It's a huge statement. My face looks like mine again. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It's like, which it needed to because, you know, I've had my book come out and it is me. Now I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm not saying that I've found my way back to myself, but I don't look like myself. I'm actually saying that and I do look like me Mm. again. So now I'm very protective of that. I mean, I've got appointments lined up to go and see because my surgeon is actually like we we get along really well and she's incredible and I want to go and sit with her to say I don't really know what I want to do do I do anything like what because she's very honest she doesn't push anything onto you and I want to go and have a conversation with her not actually really go and do anything but just say do I need to yeah, you know, of course. Should I? I'm not sure. Well, I, I'm also mindful. She's very big on the inf- inflammatory response from getting injectables and she mm. wards off people from going too hard for that reason. And so I want to have a chat with her because she's a plastic, she's an ex-plastic surgeon as well because I, I feel like after having this done anyway and having this big scar on my face, my face is probably very like nervous to have anything put into it or cut or anything. So I'm imagining my inflammatory response to any future injectables will be really strong. Mm. And I don't want that at all. And I don't want to get a little bit of like filler put somewhere and I just swell up. This Mm. is not worth it anymore for me. So it's that I'm having that educational that I've never had before or thought I would ever have. I just thought I would just keep going with things and, you know, I'd like, oh, eventually I'll get less into it. You know, I was already, I was definitely far less obsessive than I was years ago. But now I've just had a total flip even again on it. 
Well, I mean, that's a lot to go through in a year yeah. on its own. <laughs> yeah. But then I know you've also recently had your breast implants removed. Yeah. Yes. Which is yeah. that's a that's two really big <laughs> yeah. things to I forgot about put yourself that. through. That was really recent too. That was a month ago. I had them taken out a month ago. How, and how do you feel? Tell me. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was something that came from the melanoma. It was an I, I'd been questioning it quietly and maybe ignoring my potential sort of, I guess, grievances over having them in, having my implants in and then, but just thinking it's fine, they'll settle or I just didn't really want to deal with it. They were pretty fresh and I just thought they'll just figure themselves out. But I was starting to feel really not good in my body around the wedding, around that time and especially afterwards. And a lot of it I probably put down to the change of the melanoma and that experience and that sort of confrontational experience, but I was starting to feel quite physically sick my short-term memory was terrible. Like I couldn't remember what had happened five minutes ago. Like I just couldn't remember. Like I would sit and be like, like just blankly thinking. And I just thought I was getting older and I was just hard. I don't know. And these things were just weird. And I was getting inflammation through my body and a lot of bloating and I was getting sick constantly. I don't think, you know, I know there's breast implanting illness and people talk about that. I don't think that I would say that that's what was happening. It was just for me felt very much I had these foreign objects in my body and I'm very self-aware. So I had done something that wasn't very self-aware and it, I've likened it to being like I had all I had all the troops in my body, all the good little soldiers fighting to keep me healthy. We're just fighting to try and get rid of these things or fighting to figure out what they were and just f- focusing on that. So the rest of me felt very unaware and I felt very just completely out of my body in a lot of ways. So once I had the melanoma cut out and I was embracing that kind of journey and like being myself again and really starting to really love myself on that level aesthetically as well, it was just a real no-brainer to Mm. go, they've got to come out. And of course, you know, I had the, I told my surgeon, he did both surgeries, implant and explant. And I said to him, I want to take them out. And he's like, great, there's a space in November. And I said, no, I really, really want to get them out. So, you know, two weeks later I was having surgery sort of in like two weeks before my kind of book launch really. (laughs) So I was like, and you know what? It was fine. It was the recovery from this has been, I instantly felt a million times better, like instantly. It just felt just another feeling of going, oh, I'm myself again, which is such a, like it was such a relieving feeling. It's Mm. like the, like, <sighs> okay, I'm me, you know, and that's good. Did you experience any though, just like it's different, right? The before and after. Yes. And I can't speak to breast implants. The only thing I can compare in my beauty experience is I used to get eyelash extensions all the oh, time. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, I was same. like, <laughs> my time has come, I'm done with these. And I knew that I definitely wanted to stop getting them. Yeah. But then once I got them removed, I just had to look in the mirror for a while and be like, I've become so used to these eyelash extensions yeah. that now my natural eyelashes just looked like bald and weird yes. and not right. Yes. And I had to really talk to myself and be yep. like, no, 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 this is you and they are beautiful and you'll yeah. get used to it. There's like an adjustment. Yes. So did you experience that with your breasts? For a moment where you're like, oh, I... It's just so different or was it straight away just like this was the right decision? And Yeah. When I got them in, it was that. It was a feeling of, of 
oh, this isn't me mm. and I don't really like these that much but kind of going, it's cool. That's just the shock and I had to talk to myself and say, we're cool, we'll accept these, this is fine, this is what we wanted. But when I got them out, it was immediate mm. like, oh, I missed yeah. you. <laughs> like I'm very flat-chested so it was – but it was just like I've missed you, like I've yeah. missed me, you know. And I feel like, you know, breast implant, they're so close to your heart. They're so like, you know, I just feel it's such a sacred space around there mm. and – to come back to myself with them, I was just so grateful immediately. I had the only thing that I had the hesitation about getting them out was thinking of my husband, you know, kind yeah. of, that was it. And he was just, he's like, well, you had those like breasts when I met you. So, you yeah. know, I'm not, it doesn't, you know, he's like, and it wouldn't matter anyway. Like I'm not, it's nothing to do with me at all. That was my only hesitation of just that. But that was very minimal because yes. by that point I just made my decision up, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I think if, a partner was gonna, you know, yeah. oh, question your worth yeah. or yeah. relevance. Yeah, because because I think it. you should keep them in. Although that's a, you know, that happens. It is a real a thing. Yeah, thing. So yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to ask if you know everyone's on their own personal journey, and you kind of have to until you go through it, you don't know how you're gonna feel about them, whether you'll love them or potentially yeah. not want them. Yeah. But having been through this experience. Do you feel like you would have a conversation differently with someone considering getting implants? Would you say, don't do it, it's not worth it? Or yeah. would you say, do what makes you feel good? Or do yeah. you feel biased in yeah. any way? I, you know, it's – I try and say neutral because I, yeah. I feel like everybody, you know, and I talk about this at length with some other people and there's a, a – one my actual – my Chinese medicine doctor – he, you know, he has a few friends that have the implants in and they're trying to sort of like gently tell them to get them out, like gently nudge them. But he said that one of his friends just said, I need to have them in to get me to a place where I want to be. And when I get there, I'll take them out. I have compassion. Yes. Like I have space because yeah. I'm, I'm, I understand that. For me, I didn't have that. I didn't get them in thinking I need to get to a place of confidence or of acceptance or of growth or of, you know, but, but some women I think really believe that they need that and for them it's like I wouldn't want to talk them out of it yeah if that's how they need to but for me in. my decision was so flippant to get them in it was very much like oh you know whatever like why not I that you know let's just see I would anyone that has that sort of why not I just think they're nice I would probably just say you know because the thing is it cost me a lot of money to get them in and then take them out so it's not a people save up for years and years and years to get them in it's a big Thing to then get them and say, oh, I actually don't want them anymore. It's not going to, they're not coming out free of charge. <laughs> you know, it's a surgery. It's an expensive process. But I had so many people ask me when I got them in, like obsessed with wanting to know. Everyone wants to know. You know, that was like me with any injectables. Everyone wants to know what you're doing. But when I got them out, it was definitely not as many people wanting to know why or how, because I think it was quite confronting for people that were either wanting to get them in or had them, you know. Yeah. And some people, you know, like a girlfriend of mine on Tuesday was saying she's had hers for 10 years and she's fine and, you know, and I said, well, that's great. You know, yeah. I just – everyone has a different reaction. I just knew – and for the first six months I felt fine with them. It was great. It was, it was like novelty. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, you know, well, this is fun. These aren't really mine but they're fun. And then it was this year, for the six months of this year, it was just really weighing – like they were weighing me down on every you – know, on every yeah. level they were weighing me down. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. From an observational point of view, um, I don't want to tell you how you feel but just something I've observed yeah. <laughs> is I remember after you got your melanoma out and 
I mean, online isn't the best representation of your real life, but you do do a very good job of being quite authentic Uh, online. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember I started seeing these photos of you, even your like recent photos with your whole book launch and everything. And I was like, oh, she's really comfortable and happy because I recognize myself. I remember when I started looking at photos of myself kind of in the last probably 12 months where I'm just smiling because I'm happy. I'm not smiling to look a certain way. Yes. And I'm not yeah. thinking, oh, I've got really big cheeks, so if I smile too hard, they go mm-hmm. really big. Yeah. And I just see these photos where I'm genuinely so happy and I'm like, I look so beautiful. And I saw it like right from when you got your melanoma yeah. out. You started posting these photos where you were just smiling and you looked so authentically like yourself. And I was like, yes, yeah. she's dead. <laughs> it was that. It was that. It's exactly that. I just, and that's how I, you know, I can't not smile now, you know, and it's that it's exactly as you said, it's that, you know, I used to smile consciously, mm. you know, that kind of like, not too much. Yeah, you know. Like maybe like half, half a half <laughs> you know. Now it's just huge. Mm. And you do look more, like I feel like I look so much more beautiful. It's, and you kind of look back and think, God, I look way better than I did once when yeah. I was half fake. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's like smizes that you can yes. do. <laughs> it's like how yeah. do you tell a past version of yourself that just smile for joy, not for yeah, however not for a camera. Yeah. yeah, I know. We all use, it's it's the social media thing, I, I guess, because yeah. we all used to just smile. I mean, you know, or we do, or you, you get a smile, but like you get a, like your camera developed and you get photos back when you hadn't smiled naturally. And you could see in that moment, if mm. when you were younger, you'd go, oh God, no, mm. you just need to smile better. But we've got so used to so many photos and content and putting things up that ever, people refined their fake smiles pretty well. Yes. Like, but you can still see the difference. Mm. You can still see, you can feel it. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. But it was very nice to see. Oh, thanks. <laughs> okay. So you have just launched your book, yes. which is very exciting. Yes. And I was saying to you that I think I smashed it out, like condensed in like two hours. Nice. And there's so much that I loved about it. And one of the things that we thought would be relevant to talk to you about in this conversation, because the people we're interviewing in this series are all parents, and oh. we wanted to talk about how the role of being a parent yep. um, impacts your identity yep. and this sort of uh, transition or acceptance of like past self versus parent self and then navigating that space between or how do they all exist together yep. Yep. and how do you be yeah, a mother, how do you be like an object of desire if that's what you want, how do you be a professional, can you be yep. all of those things, do you have to be one of them, is it enough to be one of them, mm-hmm. all the questions that come up. And I loved your chapter on Oscar. It was yep. really beautiful and you obviously spoke about how he, but I guess being a mother to him saved you yep. in a lot of ways and became so much of your identity. And then the last couple of years you've also been just trying to, I guess, find the the space or place for you to be mother, author, yep. podcaster, yeah. fashion designer now to yep. like all of these things. Yeah. And you also spoke about your relationship with Zach and mm-hmm. how it seems like it's been very intentional, the conversations you have about the parents you want to be, but the individuals you want to be. Yeah. And you were so honest and transparent about the support that you have as a family. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I'd love you to speak to more about that and because obviously each family is different based on the support that they have and the resources they have, but what you have learnt individually and together as a partnership. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, Oscar and Ollie have a different dad 
And Craig was my co-founder at Triangle and our relationship was very much professional mm. and we weren't really a team. We just weren't. And, and it wasn't because either of us didn't want to be. We were just very different and so we didn't know how to work like a team. And I didn't know how to ask for support and he didn't really know how to naturally give it. So it was very much two people parenting separately, which is really challenging. And that's when I, I felt that I had the codependency towards my children, you know, towards Oscar and Ollie. And I just didn't know how to be with a partner in a healthy way. And then I met Zach and it was like so different. You know, he showed me how to, you know, be loved and how I needed to love someone else. And so as parents, we're a team, you know, and I've, I'd never had that before. So for me, the biggest thing in being a parent now is having that support from him and then giving it back to him as well. So you know, there was so much shame and judgment if I tried to do anything without Craig back then and vice versa. Like it was just, we just didn't, we always had, we were codependent, Craig and I. So we had to be together. And if we weren't, it was like, you know, he, if I tried to go to a Pilates class, he'd be like messaging me and be like, where are you? Like, come back. It's terrible timing to do this now kind of thing. It was always an issue. So I tried to bring that into my relationship with Zach and he was very much like, no, that's not how we talk to each other, you know. I and, and Zach has always said from the beginning, and I didn't think like this, he's like, I just want you to be happy. I want the very, very best for you. And I want you to want that for me too. took me a couple of years to actually come around to that with him <laughs> um, because I didn't feel like I could trust anyone in that relationship. I didn't know how to be with someone and let them go in that way, you know, and just trust them and just know that they'll come back to you. Mm. And so that's, you know, Zach and I are the same in our relationship as we are as parents. We just support each other, you know, and we just know. We don't even really need to verbalise it. We just know because we've set that foundation up in that way. And so the biggest thing about me being a good mum now is having his support because I didn't have it in my last relationship. So I've had that two very different experiences. And for me, you know, and it's kind of hard because I'm like, just make sure you have, get the right dad, you know, because <laughs> it makes all the difference. And I see so many women that do have children that are stuck, that, you know, the, the, the dad's the one that gets to go to work still or he gets to go to the gym at 6 a.m. and then they'll do an at-home workout. And it's just like, I see that and I'm like, what the fuck? Like that's, you know, Zach and I tag team if we have to, or we're very fortunate we'll have a nanny come in the morning because, you know, I think what we've learned in the last few years is that we have values that we both really stick with and our values are the same, which always helps. And so, you know, a value is us exercising and a value is us being with the kids all weekend and not really making plans and just doing things together, but everything is together. And so... The way we parent is by Zach and I always being in the best place possible and then our children see that and everything just flows from there for them. Yeah, you said something beautiful at your book launch where I think you said if you guys individually or as a partnership are unstable, you see the kids picking up on that instability yes. and being unstable themselves. Yep. Yeah, yeah. so like when I, you know, I was like I was saying like the mother is the centre of the universe and the dad is in there too. I was just talking to a group of women so I was like, <laughs> about women. And if, if you're, if you're rocky, then they're orbiting around you in the same way, you know, cause it's all on. So they're like moving with you. And if you're standing really still, then they're just going to glide around you. And I've seen that happen because I've lived the unstable, insane parts of life where I was depressed and miserable and couldn't be with me, you know, and they were, they were awful. They couldn't be without me. They were upset. They were anxious, you know, mm. and then as I've gotten better and taken care of myself and put myself first, 
they are putting them, they put themselves first, you know, as well, because they see that and I'm modeling that. I think that's the most important thing as being a parent is just teaching them the things that I wish I knew, you know, because I grew up in a, in a, in a home where my dad was the absolute, you know, the breadwinner and he worked and my mum quit her job to raise us and just had no purpose of her own. And I watched her resent us for that, you know, and she didn't, she didn't, she didn't outwardly say anything. I just felt it in every mm-hmm. single interaction. I felt it. The the exasperated sighs, the constant rushing everywhere, even though there's nothing to do. <laughs> and just that feeling of she was so busy in her mind because she had a million thoughts in there of what am I doing with my life? Who am I? What is this? And so we were suffering from all of that busyness and that chaos when it didn't need to be that way. And so I, and I started doing that too. You know, I, I went down the exact same path. You know, I, when I moved back after exiting Triangle, I didn't have anything to do and I was just very busy in my mind. And so my children were just being dragged around with me to nowhere because I was busy in my head and, I, you know, it was just that same mentality. So I'm now very big on modeling this slower way of being mm-hmm. and just, you know, I'm working and I now tell them about work and, if I'm having a bad day and I'm a bit grumpy, I tell them that, you know, you know, Bobby's too little, but the mm. three, the other three are old enough and you just talk to them and you just set, you just have to set the example of being the best person that I can be for me, not for them, but for me will benefit them. Event, mm, you know, like I think it's when you reframe it, if you're trying to be the best person for them, you're by definition neglecting yourself. But if you're trying to be the best person for you, then that's always going to benefit them, mm. you know. Yeah, I like what you said about telling them about having a bad day. Yes. I was thinking about that and I think I heard it on a podcast as well where they were saying if your kid clearly picks up that you're not having a good time but you say, oh, no, everything's fine, it's like you're teaching them to do that in yep. turn. So when yep. you go to them and go, what's wrong? Like they're going to turn around and be like, oh, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's so scary parenting because there's so many new realisations with it at the moment of, you know, when your kid brings you an amazing drawing, you're not meant to say, that's amazing. You're not actually meant to say that because it's giving them this ex- – and it's so stressful because you think, fuck, like, what do I say? <laughs> yeah. But that's like it's those things are actually good because you can still acknowledge it in a you, – you, but you kind of – you want them to self-reference and self-invalidate. So, like, yeah. so you kind of – if they're coming to you because they're proud – you just have to say things like, oh, that's, that's, tell me, like, you know, that's like, that's, oh, I love, like, tell me what that, tell me about it. And you, and then they're going to tell you and then you can, so they validate themselves first and then you can validate them. Mm-hmm. Things like that, which is so not natural to us. Like, you just have to withhold <laughs> your, yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. I'm like, mm, <laughs> that mm. is art. <laughs> it's funny because I actually heard that bef- like in a babysitter's club book in the 90s and it always stuck with me because one of the babysitters, she was like a 13-year-old babysitting nine-year-olds, when a, when, a, instead, when a kid comes to you and they show you something, instead of saying, like, what is that? Or just saying it's good, you say, oh, tell me about that. And it always stuck with me. When I, and I would have been 13 years old. And so when all this newfound parenting came out of conscious parenting, I was like, oh, yeah, wow, that's been around forever. <laughs> it's actually like a thing that people do. But I think with parenting, it's just, for me, it's really simple. It's just it's putting myself first always mm. because... And that's, like, I say that easily because, of course, you're going to drop everything for your kids if they need you, right? Like, if my child's sick, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm really sorry, mommy has a busy day. Like, <laughs> you go in. But it's it's putting yourself first as that mentality, knowing that that's not the reality, 
but but when you acknowledge that you don't put yourself first, you you just you're just abandoning yourself by that by that, and that's where all so many mothers are just so lost because we all thought that selfless was the badge of honor we needed to be, mm. and it's just not how it's supposed to be. And the reason being is for me, I'm trying to be my best self. For it really is for them. Like really, that's my driving force because I have seen the way they've benefited and the happy, like how happy they are to know that Zach and I are both really happy people. Mm. It's just they directly, directly benefit from that more than me being there with them, trying to do activities but not really being Mm. because they feel energy more than adults do. Yeah. They feel it. And so like even when I'm not there, if I'm in Sydney and I'm away, you know, they're like, they, they, they're excited. I come back and they know what I've been doing and they want to hear about it. And, mm. you know, and it's just, it's like, it's just, it, it benefits them to do these things for myself. Yeah. It shows them the way. It's funny because these things seem quite obvious that we should do in prioritizing ourselves, like mm-hmm. exercise, yeah. socializing, yeah. eating well. Are there any things that you have been surprised by that have kind of become your toolkit for being Erin so that you can be the best mother? Yeah. I think for me it's, it's yeah, it's realising the things that you don't want to do. You know, I think the more, the older I'm getting, the more introverted I am. <laughs> and I listened to a podcast the other day and one of the, I've forgotten, I've forgotten his name, but he's the founder of Spotify mm-hmm. and he's really intro, introverted. And he was saying that if he hosts a dinner party, he'll go away sometimes for an hour to recharge his batteries on his own. and During was, the dinner party. Yeah. <laughs> but he's with his close friends yeah, yeah, so yeah. they know. Yeah. And I was like, gee whiz, I relate to that deeply. <laughs> yeah. And the reason being is, you know, my like I have my values that I, that I, you know, my toolkit that I live by and, you know, there's family and there's work and there's my physical, mental, emotional health and then there's socialising. And for me, socialising is is at the very bottom of my list. I just, I just drop that at the moment. I would just rather, you know, I, and I dread things. You know, we have a 40th tomorrow night and I'm just like, to Zach, I say, I'm like, I'm going for an hour. I'm driving. I'm going for an hour. And he's not quite on that page with me yet. And he might never be, but I'm just very protective of, I want to be home. I want to be there in case a child wakes up. I want to wake up really early with them in the morning. They're Mm. the things that I, something always has to give. Something always has to give. And for me, I, I would rather, you know, I still have friends and I still talk to them, you know, and you've got to be mindful too, because I'm like, I don't want my kids to see me never being social and being (laughs) like the introvert in the corner, never talking. Mm. But I'm, I kind of let that at the moment, I'm letting that one go. And that, that's been quite surprising because I am a very outgoing person and I love connecting, Mm. but it really does burn me out the quickest of everything. So Mm. that's the thing that usually has to go first. I think maybe a lot of people think socializing is what should be up the top or they think because it's kind of that immediate hit of energy yes or adrenaline or dopamine where you're just like I'm getting something from someone else but it's not really for yourself it gives you a little bit but it's like if that's all you make the time for potentially as a mother it's like where's the activity just for you yeah yeah and I also you know we're very relaxed with our kids on the weekend we're not an activities family we're not out like at the zoo and because they're at school and kinder all week and they're so busy and on the weekend we just do nothing you know we go for a walk we get like some food we go home we play outside everyone just slows down and I love that and I love that I'm building that out for them too because 
there's a lot of kids these days that are just on mm. the go and they're being taught to just never stop. And, and then they kind of associate like rest with boredom. Or, yes. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's actually Oscar's led the way. He's my, he's my oldest. He's eight. And he says, you know, I just want to relax. <laughs> I just want to relax. Like I just, and you hear it and you just think, oh, okay, great. Mm. I get that. And not every child is like that. There's some children that can't do that, but I'd much rather the child that honors that and, and, and let him really sit with that. And, you know, because I think the kid that's busy can still just find something to do at home because boredom is really important. And I think filling the gap with noise always is is really risky with kids because mm. they're the kids that can't sit with their thoughts and they don't know how to switch off. And that's my greatest fear with my children. You know, well, there's lots of greatest fears, but <laughs> one of them is for that. I want them to just slow down and enjoy the really simple things like look at the blue sky and look at clouds and look up at, we've got a beautiful tree in our backyard and just look at it. And I'm, I'm like that. I've always been like that. I get that from my dad. We're very excited by a very mundane <laughs> thing. It's like, look at the leaves on the tree, you know? Like, <laughs> so I really try and talk to them about those small things and get very excited so that simple things in life excite them because mm. a lot of kids these days are being, they're not being taught that they're being, they're being taken around the world and everyone's on, on beach houses and holidays and activities and it's just like uh, my kids don't need to not yet you know when they're like all 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 then we can do more things but at the moment they just want to mm. have simple experiences jump on a trampoline you know kick a ball around do their own little things and get to know each other too I mean I'm very blessed we have four children so they keep each other very busy and I think that's why we can keep it simple mm. um, but yeah I love just letting them just relax I feel like that level of boredom is good as an adult as well. Yeah. <laughs> the other day, yeah. boyfriend got surgery and it went longer than they expected. So I was stuck in hospital from like six in the morning till eight o'clock at night, but I had nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't bring my laptop because I thought I was kind of just dropping him off and going. And I was like, oh my gosh. But it was such a good day. I kind yeah. of just stared into the abyss for a couple yeah. of hours and just thought about things. And yeah. then, like, I had a little piece of paper, so I was just writing on that. I talked to some random lady next to me. I just walked around the hospital. Like, I just potted. And yeah. I was like, yeah. I haven't done nothing or just potted because usually I'm like, oh, I'll read or I'll do this thing or I'll re reply to an email or something. You yeah. kind of just fill it. Yeah. But I just had nothing and I was like, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, I love pottering. That is my, <laughs> truly one of my great joys is just like moving things around, <laughs> looking at things, maybe like putting something on a little list of like, oh, I don't know. Because you miss the simple beauty of life if you don't potter around. Yeah. Mm. I really – and I just – we're just – we don't do that anymore. Pottering invites um, like spontaneity it or does. just the unknown in, whereas if you're just trying to fill every minute of the hour, you're just controlling and there's yeah. no opportunity no. for something unexpected yeah. to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's been really nice, as a, especially since we've – like this year in our new house and just everyone being together and everyone growing up a little bit. It's really simple and just talking to them and mm. listening, you know, like I, even this morning and they all try and talk at the same time. So it was, you know, and, and my little girl's trying to grab me by my face. Mummy, mummy, listen to me. I'm talking to you. Yeah. She says, <laughs> I'm talking to you because she demands your full attention. Yeah. And it's just, and you got, you got to abandon everything for that because you don't want 
to miss those moments. Mm. And if I don't slow down, then I will miss them. And that's a beautiful like reverse model where they kind of teach you that I should, you know, listen to everyone with this much presence or I can ask for that presence from my friends or my partner or my family. Sometimes they're annoying and they're like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And you just, and I'll be in the middle of something. And it's funny because they're in the moment they're annoying. And I'm like, (laughs) and I give like a half word, you know, I won't really answer or I'll just be like, well, wait, I'm just, I'm busy. And then it's as soon as they go to walk away and I just know it's like, it's like my heart goes with them <laughs> and I'm like, <gasps> and I'm like, I'm like, Ollie, Ollie, or you know, whichever child is. So I'm like, come back, come back, come back. And then I'll like sit on the ground with them and talk because in the moment they're annoying. I can't turn that off because it is annoying. They're pulling at you like, but as soon as they feel like they're not being heard or not valued and they go to leave is when you feel the gravity of what's mm. actually happening. And I'll all, I'm like, None, nothing else is as important as that, you know, yeah. which happens a lot in my house because it's four of them. And there's <laughs> always, it's like you go down, like I will like sneak down to the front of the house to like have a shower and get ready. And I did this this morning and just there's like three of them in there in two minutes. Just yeah. Like, just like doing their thing, <laughs> you know. Amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. I would love to know to sort of like round it out, like because it has been a year since we've chatted and you so much has happened, like yeah. we've just discussed. Has your the only word that's coming into my mind is like mission or vision or just like for what you wanted of yourself mm-hmm. or because you've been exploring so much and then I guess with your podcast or even your own social following and presence is really growing and with your your book and the work that mm-hmm. you're doing and the feedback you're getting from you're following in your audience, which feels so like connected and mm. really emotionally invested in the conversations you're having. I would love to know what you're feeling most drawn to or mm-hmm. where it's kind of naturally, is it going in one direction more than another? Do you feel like you've got this kind of like, this is what my purpose yeah. is? Yeah. No, I'm still ex- exploring and yeah. very happily so. The biggest thing this year that's happened because, and recently because of my book launch and it's been really busy and there's so many people that I've brought into my community and they're so invested and I am so grateful for it, but I'm very mindful of being protective of my time. And so I'm really wanting to build things out or something out that's honoring what they will need from me and knowing that that's my purpose is to be of service to them, but also knowing that I have to not give myself too much Mm. where I get home and I can't give anything to my children. So the introvert in me is starting to really, you know, I even said this morning at home to Zach, I was saying, actually, no, it was to Gabby. It was one of the nannies. I said, you know, I don't know how actors do press junkets and do 12 (laughs) hour days of this and smart. Like I've done a tiny baby little book tour, like a mini nothing. And I'm (laughs) so exhausted, you know, and I am far more introverted than I realize and I'm getting that way as I'm getting older happily. Like it's great. So whatever I'm building has to be very mindful of that Mm. because I still want to do it. You know, a few months ago I was thinking I want to go and like have a TV show and I want to be out there and I want to be like a household name, you know, and and it was because I want everyone to feel better because I know that I can connect with people and I have this ability to. So I wanted to make that huge. Whereas now I'm thinking, well, hang on, I can't do that and be at the cost of my own enjoyment and mm. my own, you know, mental health. So it's having that awareness is why I'm going back into starting my own business because I know a lot of that is me on my own working away, which I really do love. So it'll be a combination of doing that and 
building something to support other women in a way that is sustainable for me and for them. Yeah. Which I haven't worked out yet, which I'm trying. My wait list <laughs> is just growing by the day of women that want to go on a journey with me. And I'm just I'm just taking time. I'm just slowing down. That's one thing that's coming really strongly in the last, you know, few weeks or few months even is just to slow down because I'm always I'm always thinking I want to I'm in a race to yeah. get there and I'm like but where I don't know where I'm even going <laughs> <laughs> but I'm racing there yeah and so I've had this real you know and even now we're in October and so I won't do anything until next year the next few months I'll just be planning and building and enjoying everything and then start again next year which is relaxing to know but also at the same time there is part of you that's thinking, oh, hang on, I'm, I, what if I'm irrelevant by then, you know, and there's so many things to to, to weigh up. But I'm, my passion and my vision is still the same. It's my the way I'm navigating it has changed definitely because I've become more still within myself. So it's a more calm process to get there, you know. Yeah. I just want to give myself space. And so nice that you're aware of, I guess, these like moments where you're like, I'm, I'm, things are feeling too fast or there's mm. too much on and yeah. that you need to kind of maybe pull yeah. back a bit. Yeah. I mean, I have a, a real, and it's a, it's a blessing and a curse of being able to disassociate from things around me that like triangle. I was like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, and you hear those stories and people are like, are you proud? I'm like, yeah, I'm proud. And I'm really just not even... Like I just, I just, I just am very detached from it. And even with the book is the same thing. You know, the book is a deeply personal book and it's so raw and there are things in there that most people never knew. And I'm like, oh. yeah, <laughs> like I'm just, I can disassociate because it was, because I. It's out there it's and out it's there. And, and it was me then, you know, even me yesterday isn't me now. And I, that's great and I love that but it also kind of makes, it can make you, kind of make me sit in one place as well for a while because I'm like, well, that was yesterday's Erin. <laughs> like, she wanted to do that. Today she doesn't. Um, so I'm mindful of that as well because I can go down and do a project that's quite strong and big and impressive and then just sort of just leave it. But then I'm like, well, maybe that's what I need to keep doing, the projects that I just do as a one-off and then leave it and move on to the next thing. Yeah. I seem to like that. I seem to really like doing that. I seem to be good at doing it that way. It's <laughs> great. Leave it, leave it there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for Thanks, coming guys. on again and thank talking you. to us and giving us your time. Pleasure. So people can buy your book from both bookstores and online. Yes. Hanging by a Thread yes. is the title. Yep, yep. And then your podcast, they just search the work. Yep, yep. I have, I'm actually having a break from that for a little bit. I just... There's too much going yeah. on. Yeah, but just, uh, there's plenty of episodes there's plenty of episodes. There. I think there's 22 and I'll bring it back. I think I'll bring it back in a month. Yeah. I just wanted a few weeks of. And then when you realise that like you don't have to I know, release right? them every oh, week, yeah. it's like you sort of be like, I have to put out more and then you're yeah. like, for who? Yeah. Why? <laughs> yes, you have a following but they can wait. They'll yeah. live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like time doesn't exist in podcast land. <laughs> like no one's, it's not like a TV show where you really are you're following. waiting for next week. Yeah, like episode. I have yeah. no idea what's happening. I kind of just check in i'm like oh there's a new one yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly it's true yeah yeah and then obviously everyone can follow you on instagram yes. your name yeah erin deering yeah erin k deering erin k deering yep. yes yeah well good luck with your book tour yeah, i hope it you. goes quickly for your no, sake no, no i am loving it it's funny because i i love it when i'm in, i love it when i'm in there yeah i really do and i love it afterwards it's just the before it's that kind of feeling of like 
And then as soon as you get in, you're like, oh, no, this is fun. This yeah. is one. <laughs> That's like classic introvert. <laughs> Isn't it? No, truly. I didn't realize how introverted I was in, until the last few months. And I'm like, wow. Okay, well, everything's making sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Thank you Thanks, again. Yeah. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to Pretty Hard. If you like this episode, we'd love you to share it with a friend and give it a rating or simply send us a DM and say hi. The more listens we get, the more episodes we can make.